her microphone is back there. Let me get that. That's Wiley's microphone. You already see it.
evening. We're going to sing that part of that song this evening. It'll be on your screen this evening. We're going to worship the Lord. Those joining online, we welcome you to church this evening. So let's sing it. We're singing it
visited your people today. Lord, we ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people and join us, Lord, again in this evening worship service. Whether those that are in-house or those joining online, let us feel your presence. Let us worship you tonight in spirit and in truth. And have, inhabit the praises of your people and speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Let's remain standing this evening and go back into worship.
Thank you today for the sweet aroma of your spirit. Let our song of praise, as the song says, 
be pleasing in your and our sacrifice of praise consume and let the sweet aroma of worship not only fill this room but your presence to inhabit that and fill this room God as we get ready to break the bread of life today I pray you would speak to our hearts today in the secrecy and the solidness of this moment and we will forever give you the praise the glory and the honor that is due your name in Christ Jesus our Lord we pray and the people of God together said amen amen you may be seated in the house of the Lord today don't forget those joining online always you can download the our church app search santee circle cog for more information about the church you can always follow us at santeecirclecog.org all of our services are archived there or on google and apple podcasts at santee circle cog as always there's multiple ways to give to the house of the lord in-house in the offering boxes by mail by the tithe.ly app or by the santee circle cog backslash give uh, many of you already know, but for those that maybe are not familiar, uh, the wooden boxes all over our campus uh, are, are designed for uh, giving online uh, to be able to give in-house. We are still in our 21 days of fasting and prayer. We are in the last week. We're in the home stretch. That being said, don't forget tomorrow night at uh, 7 p.m. we will have our uh, third installment of the 21 days of prayer and fasting services where we will come together and we will sing some of these songs you heard tonight and this morning we'll pick one or two of each set we'll sing them again tomorrow night and we'll come and we'll just pray and we'll just seek the face of the Lord it's not a lot of sermons and things like that but it is just a time of prayer and consecration and man the last two weeks we have had a sweet sweet spirit in the house and it has been uh, something that if you have not been able to be a part of, you you don't want to miss it. It's been, uh, in my humble opinion, it's been that good. It's just been something we have just enjoyed the presence of the Lord. And uh, we have had as many as 20 here. And even last week, I think you know, 14 or 15 were here. So uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, bring a friend, bring a neighbor, bring a coworker. you know, bring a stranger. We had a visitor last week. Bring a stranger. Bring whoever you can. Let them hear the word of the Lord. Don't forget, next Sunday we'll finish our last of our installment series, The Spiritual Detox, about the art and the heart of fasting and what it means. What do you do when you get done with fasting? You know, How do you avoid the spiritual letdowns or the relapses? How do you not fall victimized or prey to that? So you, we want you to uh, be mindful of that. Try to be back next Sunday for that. Uh, and those watching online, hopefully you'll be able to join us in-house next Sunday for that as well. If you have your Bibles there, why don't you go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter number 1. I uh, have only preached this message one time before uh, at a previous assignment. It's a very unique passage of Scripture and thought that I'm going to be going from. Um, it is not one that's going to probably elicit a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings and get you all, you know, uh, ready to shout and run the aisles and all that kind of stuff. But it is one that I think is very, uh, at the times that we're living in, could, could be very impactful for those who let these words resonate in their hearts. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 
we're going to read this chapter together and then we'll walk through it. These are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass that in the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year that I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, and he and, a certain, and certain men of Judah, the house of praise. I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped and went back home, which were left in captivity, concerning Jerusalem. And he said unto me, he said, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. They're struggling. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. It's a mess down there, basically what he's saying. It's awful. It came to pass when I heard these words, Nehemiah, that I sat down and I began to cry, and I mourned for days. I fasted. You know, sometimes fasting is not going to make you happy. Sometimes it's going to make you lament and cry. And I prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth the covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel and your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we, we have sinned against thee. The best way to get God's attention is for a nation to say they were wrong and repent. Both I and my father's house have sinned, Lord. We have dealt very corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments, nor your statutes, nor your judgments, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and you keep my commandments, and you do them, though you were of cast out of the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather you, gather them from thence, and will bring them to the place which I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and that the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear your name and prosper I pray you thy servant this day give him mercy in the sight of this man notice this last line for I was the king's cup bearer I want to preach to you on what do you do when you are the bearer of the empty cup what do you do when you are the bearer Notice what he said. His heart is broken. His people, his family, they're in captivity. The city of Jerusalem is shambles. The place he calls home has been decimated by the effects of war. Heartache, travesty, tragedy has ramshacked his homeland. He's in captivity serving a king. He sits down for days. He prays. He cries. He fasts. He asks the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. We have sinned. We have messed up. He laments before the Lord. He is broken as a man. He is broken beyond recognition. But he made a point to let us know what he did for a living. 
And every day I had to get up and I had to walk in and put a smile on my face and I had to look like everything was okay. And when I walked into the to the room, I had to stand there and I had to wait for the king to take his seat on the royal throne and I had to fake, fake a smile and I had to go to church and put on the smile and I had to teach my Sunday school class with a smile and I had to sing with a smile. I had to play with a smile and had to shake hands with a smile and I stood there and I waited for the king to sit down and I would hand him his cup but once he had his cup and he dismissed me from his presence, I would go back to my room and I was a broken shell of a man. What do you do when you are the bearer of the empty cup. I'm not talking about the cup full of wine that you handed the king. But when you feel like you've poured out everything you've got. And everything's falling, around, falling apart around you. And nothing seems to be going right. What do you do when you are the bearer of the empty cup? Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your unadulterated word of God. Not because I'm someone special. Or anything of special recognition. But Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're able to meet the needs of your people. Father, I am asking in the sacredness and the solemnness of this moment that you speak to our hearts. You speak to our lives. You help us to hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. Father, I'm asking for you to hide me behind the cross and help me to preach to your church, to your people. The word you've given me this day. I will forever give you the praise, the glory, and honor for all that you do. Help us to not only be hearers, but doers thereof of this word. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray and ask these things. And the people of God together said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. What do you do when you are the bearer of the empty cup? You see, we are living in a day, an hour right now where it seems like there are a lot of people who are empty. They're looking for answers for something. Their world's falling apart. Their homes are falling apart. Their jobs are falling apart. Their families are falling apart. The world is falling apart. The economy is falling apart. Everything that we know about the things of this life seems to be using an old proverbial term going to hell in a handbasket even though we don't like to always look at it that way we sometimes describe it that way as everything's falling apart nothing seems to be going right I'm not going to ask you how many tonight would would honestly admit that there have been times in your life where it seemed like everything around you wasn't going smoothly it wasn't going the way you planned you know I, I have We'd be scared to probably ask this because I probably know the answer to this. But if I asked people in this room to raise your hand, if you've ever been in a place in your life where things weren't going the way you thought they were going, how many of you have ever been in that seat where you didn't know where it was going to go? Probably the majority, if not every hand in this house that has lived long enough to experience life a little bit would say there have been times in my life I did not know what was going to happen next. I didn't know what God was going to do next. I didn't know if I was going to get my head above the water. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. See, this prophet, this writer, Nehemiah, he's living in captivity. He has a pretty illustrious job. Uh, it sounds like a pretty cool job till you realize what his job really is. His job is to be the cupbearer of the king. Sounds exciting, except there's a problem. It's a deadly job. Because here's what his job was. The people in the back and the 
kitchen area cooking the food and preparing the wine, uh, they would make all the platters up and serve it. But Nehemiah's job was when it came out of the kitchen door to grab it off the tray and have his little chalice or water or whatever it may be, wine, whatever. And his job, Sister Anne, was to go stand by the king at his throne and hold it until the king summoned for it. But when the king summoned for it, before the king ever touched it, it was Nehemiah's job to sip it first. Just in case there was one person in the kingdom that had an alt against the king in the back and decided to put a little arsenic or some poison in it and wanted to take out the king. So what they would do is instead of letting the king taste it, it would be Nehemiah's job to check it first. If Nehemiah dropped dead on impact, they would know something was wrong in the kingdom. You know what would happen? The king would just get a new person to be the cupbearer. He still wasn't going to drink the poison. He'd find somebody else to do the job. That was his, if you will, calling. That, that's what his job was to do. And he was to, what a scary job. Because if somebody was trying to take out the king, you know that you're going to find out first. And you're the one that's going to die first. Because your job was to check it before the king got it. And if you lived to tell about it, then the king would accept it. But it was a difficult job sounds like a pretty cool job well I get to stand by the king I get to hold the king's golden chalice I get to stand there with the upper echelon of nobility until someone tries to poison the king and you're the dead guy you know what happens they drag you out bring another guy in that you're understudy and say you're next who wants that job well how did the last guy get fired from his job he didn't he died in office your turn like nobody's signing up for that job Nehemiah's been doing this for who knows how long but there comes a day that he gets a report that there are some men from back home that have come to see him. To give him an updated report about how things are going, if you will. It takes place in an area called Susa or the Shushan province. Which is in the area of, of Persia or the Persian Empire. It was the... Literally, it was the winter capital or the winter kingdom of Persia. Persia had a summer, or spring and summer kind of kingdom. And then in the winter, they would go to Susha where it was a little bit more pleasant. And, and so this was the winter capital. It's around 446 B.C. The Bible tells us it was in the month of Chislev, which would have been somewhere around the, on our modern day calendar, around the November and December time period, if you were to equate it to today. The temperature in Susa around that time was around 40 degrees during the day. And it would get in the 20s at night. This empire spanned from Egypt to India. Nehemiah was serving the great king Artaxerxes, who was the most feared and most extremely, extremely powerful king of that day. Artaxerxes was a family relative of King Darius. You know King Darius in the book of Daniel. And also he was a relative of King Cyrus of the Persian Empire, also found in the book of Daniel. Cyrus the Great. Artaxerxes was also the one that pronounced the commissioning of Ezra, the Jewish priest and scribe, by means of letter of decree, Cyrus's edict, to take charge of the ecclesiastical matters and civil affairs of the Jewish nation. It was this king that told Ezra, I commission you as the, uh, the rabbinical uh, priest 
and prophet and protector of the nation of Israel by the decree of, of my family, Cyrus's edict, to go and make sure that the church is okay and make sure everything's all right. So Ezra had left Babylon in the first month of the seven year, around 457 B.C. of Artaxerxes' reign. He was the head of a company of Jews that included priests and Levites. They arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month of the seventh year. They began to rebuild the Jewish community in Jerusalem that began under Cyrus the Great, who had permitted the Jews that had been held in captivity in Babylon to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the Temple of Solomon. Consequently, a number of Jews returned to, Bab- to Jerusalem in 538 B.C. And the foundation of this second temple was laid the following year. In Artaxerxes' 20th year, around 444 B.C., Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, apparently who was also a friend of the king, as in that year Artaxerxes inquired of Nehemiah's sadness, Nehemiah related to him the plight of the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem's undoing and how it was undefended. The king then charged Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem with letters of safe passage to all the governors of the trans-Euphrates and to Asaph, the keeper of the royal forest, to become to cut down beams for the citadel by the temple to help rebuild these walls. He sent letters to make sure he made it safely back and even gave him the resources to make it home. But I read to you at the beginning of this passage of Scripture that when Hananiah shows up, he tells Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes out to greet him. Sister Brenda, I could imagine when he goes and he sees He's running out the royal courtyards and he's rounding the bend of the palace to see him in the courtyard. That while Nehemiah may have had a smile on his face when he locked eyes with Hananiah's eyes and saw the sadness in Hananiah's eyes, his heart sank in his chest. Maybe he was coming to tell him that Jerusalem had been decimated. Maybe Nehemiah thought it was going to be another one of those Job stories where all the, everybody has died and I'm the only one that, was, that made it out alive to come and tell you what had happened. Nehemiah asked, what is the status of my family, my brethren in Jerusalem? Hananiah says, well, the walls are undefended. We are vulnerable. We're hurting. We're desperate. We don't, we don't have any, any resources. At any moment, any, any army could come and decimate us and take us out like that. Nehemiah's heart sinks into his chest. The Bible says he withdraws himself. He stops eating. He fasts. He prays, which is always a good thing. When you're at rock bottom or you're destitute or you feel like everything's falling falling apart around you, the best thing you can do is pray about it and seek God. It's often been said by many scholars as well as many people who have studied the word of the Lord That tears are a language God understands. He gets them. You know, there are times in our lives we cry and we may not even realize how many tears we've cried. How many have hit a pillowcase. How many have stained a comforter. Or how many we've lost and to the point we may have cried where we don't even know how to cry anymore. But you know what? God knows which every one of them stood for. Every one. And do you know... That even when the enemy 
perpetrates and, and, and populates the theory in our minds. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. God doesn't even care that you're crying. God's letting it all fall apart around you. I don't. You, you you don't understand what's going on. God doesn't care. He hadn't come rescue. Even when the enemy tries to make you think God is careless and doesn't have any concern about you whatsoever, just know that's a lie. Because God does care. Nehemiah cried and said, "God, what are we to do? What are we to say?" See, for some people. This is how you can tell if they're bearer of empty cups. For some people, they are bearers of failed plans. They had a plan. They had an idea of what they wanted to accomplish. They had an idea of how it was supposed to go. They had an idea. But it never worked out that way. It never materialized that way. It never came together that way. If I were to ask some of you in here today, and I won't do that because I'm not going to put you... Uh, on the, if you will, proverbial spot, uh, if you will. But I wonder how many of us, it hasn't always went sometimes in life the way we had it planned. You know, I, I've often thought in my own uh, uh, life that there have been times in my life where I had a plan. Or so I thought I had a plan. The Bible says that God will use the ways of the simple to confound the wise. Sometimes my plans and God's plans don't always add up and match. But that doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan either. Just because I have a plan and it doesn't go my way doesn't mean God didn't have a plan too. And the Bible tells us if we trust the Lord in all our heart, He will we lean on our own understandings and acknowledge Him. He'll make those pathways, those plans known. He has plans for us, Jeremiah says. He'll reveal to us what he's, His plan is. But here's what happens. In this story, Hananiah shows up. His name literally means God is gracious. So if you really wanted to look at it, you could literally say that the grace of God has walked into the corridors of a royal palace. Now for time's sake, I'm not going to ask you today how many times you have needed the grace of God to walk into a situation in your life and bail you out. But I would probably, scarce to say, believe that a mass majority of us in this room, there have been times in our lives where had it not been for the grace of God, we wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't be here. Now, here's what happens. They're all there. Hanani tells him the story. Some scholars believe it may have even been Hanani, might have even been Nehemiah's brother. Could have been one of his family members or his relatives. We don't know. What we do know is that Nehemiah knew the history and how Cyrus had already sent some Jews back and captured Babylon and the city was still in ruins. Nehemiah knew that under the rule of Zerubbabel 90 years prior that there were 50,000 people that went back. And then there had been 7,000 people just 13 years prior to Nehemiah getting this report that he went back. So there's 57,000 people there. And just 160 plus years since Babylon's devastation, that these people had got to go home and nothing has happened. It's been 13 years, 156 months, 676 weeks. 
since being with his family in Jerusalem. Thirteen years. Ezra had left in the seventh year. Now it's the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign. So even Nehemiah hadn't seen his friend, his companion, his confidant, the priest, Ezra. He hasn't seen him in thirteen years. He seems to be all alone. I wonder how many times in our lives we have felt like we were all alone. It doesn't matter how many people came by and offered us a word of encouragement or they said something, but how many of us, no matter how many times we went to church, no matter how many hands we shook, no matter how many friendly faces we encountered, we still felt like we were on an island all alone. We had nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. We didn't know what else to do. When Nehemiah didn't know what else to do, he ran to God. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. See, I have on the title screen there a story out of the book of John, chapter 2. For time's sake, I'm not going to spend a lot of large time on this, but I want to share with you some of this this evening from the book of John. John chapter 2. Let me tell you the story. Jesus has just come out of a temptation season by the devil. After he's come out of this temptation season, he has been invited to the wedding of weddings in a place called Cana of Galilee. He's just Miss Brenda's supposed to be a guest of honor. He, he, he's not even supposed to just do anything but just show up. RSVP, Jesus, just show up. I don't need you to do nothing. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to serve it. I don't need, just show up, Jesus. You're just a guest of honor. Just show up. And so he does. He's sitting there, no doubt, enjoying the, if you will, sights and sounds of the festivities. But all of a sudden, some servants go running to Mary. Now, some scholars say Mary might have been the stewardess, if you will, or the, the, the event coordinator or the wedding planner because they went to her first. So some people said maybe whether it was a family connection to Jesus or whether Mary just was doing that as a friend, a friend of the family of whoever it was. But some people think maybe Mary was the wedding coordinator because these servants... Or if you will, the glorified helpers, the, the help hired hands, if you will, run to Mary and say, hey, we, we ran out of wine. We don't have nothing left to offer our, our customers. The person that's paid this $50,000 down payment deposit on this wedding is not going to be happy when, we rent, when the hospitality manager and the director of operations and events forgot to order how much champagne and wine we needed. They, they, he's not going to be happy that he paid for this and he's not getting his service. What are we going to do? You see, what they're really saying is, Mary, there's a lot of people sitting in this room that are bearing empty cups. They drank all they've got. They have nothing left in the tank. You see, if I took this bottle of water right now that has water in it, but if I literally just stood here
and drank the whole thing. Lord. Oh, it's about to go off. Just hold on. Let me switch to this. Let's try this just for a second. So I can get my my switching out. I'm glad it wasn't my pacemaker. It would be worse. But here's the bottom line. Mary, you notice in this story, she, she never panics. Now, There we go. If it were us, we'd panic. We'd freak out. Our first thought would be like, oh, no, they're going to fire me. Soon as my, my boss finds out that I've screwed up this $50,000 shindig and I've ruined this and, and it's going to cost us weddings in the future, I'm fired. But see, what they were telling Mary is there's a lot of people they were satisfied for a while. But now there's nothing to satisfy him anymore. Do you realize there's a lot of people that are in our lives and that are also in this world that for a season of time, some things in life satisfy them, whether it was drugs, whether it was alcohol. For some people, it might have even been church. It satisfied them for a season. But after a certain time, instead of allowing the Spirit of the Lord to keep pouring into them, or instead of getting off of those drugs or those, or those alcoholic addictions... For that season, while it was satisfying, there came a season, Brother Larry, where they were empty. They were done. There was nothing left in the tank. They had nothing left. The more they wished they could taste it again, the more they wished they could have it again, it was just gone. There's some people, they used to come to church for years and years and years, and, and, and life was good, God was good, but over time they, they quit leaning on the Lord and they started bearing empty cups. They were dry and barren. They tell Mary, Mary, we have nothing to give them. A whole room full of empty cups. Could you imagine the picture, though, symbolically of what is being said? Mary, we have got a whole room of empty vessels in the room. The Bible says that God wants us to be vessels of honor unto the Lord. That he wants us to pour all of ourselves out so he can pour all of himself in. We know that the Bible says and equates that the Holy Spirit is like the wine. And the Bible says you don't put new wine in old wineskins because it will burst the wineskins. Because it won't have the ability to let it expand the way it needs to and all those things. And so you have to have new wineskins with the new wine. And we talk about... Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about that the Spirit of the Lord was like that new wine given to the body of Christ. So we're out of wine. Could you imagine the picture that's here? We've got a bunch of empty vessels and we don't have the Spirit in the room either. Think about this for a moment. we got a lot of potential. We just don't have the main attraction. The main source of strength. Everyone else is looking for the tangible. Oh no, we're going to have to go to Dollar General. We're going to have to go to Publix. We're going to have to run to the store and just pick up something. That's how people treat Christianity. That's how people treat the Lord. 
Man, you know how many times people, they just want a quick fix from God. Well, I came to church on a Sunday night. Lord, I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit to church. I don't want to commit to getting involved. I'm just coming to get a quick quickie. Just get me over the hump, Lord, and then get back on the road. I'm not coming to, to, to commit to anything. I just need a quick shot to get me over. Empty cups. Empty vessels. Empty plans. A lot of potential in the room. A lot of empty vessels. Willing vessels. Potential clients. But no wine. No main attraction. No source of substance. They come to Mary. This is how we know Mary must have been someone. Who was really in tune with her walk with God. See, because in that day, it would have been such a disgrace and a distaste for you to run out of wine at a feast. It was better to have more than to ever run out. It was like the ultimate insult. But the Bible said Mary never panicked. We never give an inclination that Mary freaked out. Boys, y'all better hurry up. Y'all better run down to town. Y'all better hurry up and see if the guy down across the street's got something we can borrow. We'll pay him back and we'll reimburse. You never hear him say that. You know what she says? Go find Jesus. Think about what she just said. Go find Jesus. Remember what I said to start this message. Jesus, we just need you to show up. We don't need you to do anything. <laughs> You're just a guest of honor. Lord, Lord, we don't need you to wave your little magic wand. We don't need you to wave your little magic hand. And We don't just show up to the wedding. Don't make a scene. Don't embarrass us. Don't make this big turn into a Jesus superstar show. Just mind your business. Sit in your corner. Be nice. Don't make a big deal about it. You just... You're just invited to the wedding. Just can you lay low this week? Ain't that what people say about Jesus now? Lord, don't we don't need you until we need you. We want to keep you on the shelf. You can come to our church, Lord, but don't move until we tell you. Don't make a scene, Lord, until we're ready. We might have visitors. We don't, we don't want our guests to be uncomfortable when you come, Lord. We don't want our guests to be embarrassed when you show up, Lord. So it would be better, Lord, you could come just in case, but we don't mind you coming, just don't do nothing while you're here. <laughs> you see, but what the world needs to be reminded of and what the church needs to be reminded of is that every Sunday and every Wednesday and throughout weeks and throughout revivals, there's a lot of people that show up into rooms bearing empty cups they used to have things to satisfy them, whether it was sin, pleasure and sin for a season. It satisfied them for a while. They're bearing empty cups, but the only thing, Sister Anne, that's going to satisfy them is when the Holy Spirit comes in and fills them back up. But the only way that's possible, if you let Jesus do what only he can do. Because the Bible says when they show up to Jesus, they say to Jesus, your mama's looking for you. That's never a good sign. Never. And all my life, I have never heard that to be in a positive way. Anytime everybody's ever come to me and says, uh, Jonathan, your mama's looking for you. I'm like, for, for what? Can you tell me why I'm going before I go? Do I need reinforcements? Do I need, should I run? Should I just not show up and go MIA? Anytime somebody says, hey, your mama's looking for In fact, not too long ago, I don't even know where I was at. Brandon and I were somewhere. I don't even know where we were at. My mom called. I didn't, I didn't get the call. I was doing something. But Brandon noticed my phone. I think I went in the store or something. And she said, hey, your mom's looking for you. And I'm like, oh, God. What have I done? I 
like, do I have to call her back? She's like, yeah, yeah, call her back. I was like, this is not going to be good. My mom don't make social calls. My dad, yeah, my dad's calling about everything. My dad stumps his toe. He's going to tell me about it. My dad has rice cakes and peanut butter. He's going to call me and tell me what the peanut butter was like. I mean, he, he'll call about everything. He'll call me and tell me what the weather's doing. He'll call and tell me he's making snow. He just called me last week when they thought they were going to get two flurries. He told me he'd already been to the store and bought evaporated milk and vanilla extract and, and uh, canned uh, milk so that he could make snow cream. If, and he was already had his pots in the free, freezer just in case it happened to snow twice. He was that excited. My mom, I can't not hear from her for a week. It just happens. Her philosophy is if I need you, I'll call you. Well, yeah, but when you call, I said, I'm normally in trouble. So I'm scared to answer the phone. Jesus, your mama's looking for you. She needs to talk to you. You see, you have to understand something about these barrels. The barrels that are in this story, Jesus tells them, well, Mary tells them, you do what he tells you to do. Jesus says, get me these six water pots. These six water pots... Each one of them, each pot, held somewhere between 20 to 30 gallons of water. Miss Brenda Burbage does our flowers here. Uh, could you imagine if I showed up with a 30-gallon drum and it's like, all right, Miss Brenda, I want you to carry this around and water flowers in this. <laughs> and it's, it's rough, rough. 20 to 30 gallons of water per jug. Jesus says, fill them all up. According to the Jewish purification process of, of making wine, they'd start out with the first pitcher, and then they would put like this netting, and they would pour it in the second pitcher. Then they would take, let it shake out. They'd put that netting on, a, a smaller net, go to the third pitcher. Then they'd small it. By the time they got to the last one, they would put something similar to like a cheesecloth on the last pitcher and pour it out. The goal was to get rid of every bit of impurity they thought they'd get. Every seedling, every little grind, grind of, of whatever or ground of, 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 of or seed of something. They wanted to make sure it was the purest form. So that when they served it, it was in its most purest form. That's what the Holy Spirit in our lives is all about. The Holy Spirit wants to purify us so that when we stand before God, we stand before Him in the purest of form. Because the Lord can't even accept a grain of sin, much less a big chunk of sin, it has to be purified before God. The vessel has to be purified before the Lord can use it. Now, the Lord will purify it, but he has to have a purified vessel before he can use it for service. It had to be pure. The Bible talks about that we go through the refiner's fire so that we can be purified and all the dross like a silversmith or a goldsmith when they're making pure metals, how they will heat it up with the fire and things like that to get all the impurities to rise to the top so they can do what's called a skim. They can come across the top and skim all of the impurities off the top so they can offer pure gold to their client. That's what the trials and fires, fiery trials of life do to us. They get us to a point that it raises up all the impurities so that the Holy Spirit can come and remind us during times of prayer and fasting, here's what's going on, here's what's wrong, and he can skim those things out of our lives so we can be purified before God. Failed plans. Miss Carol, as you make your way, I'm going to pick up the rest of this next week. Proverbs 19.21 says, You can make many plans, but only the will of the Lord shall prevail. You can make all the plans you want, 
You can tell God all you want. God, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And God can be like, no, you're not, because I didn't say it was okay. You can make the plan. That don't mean God's going to let it come to pass. Now, sometimes God and your plans can line up, but sometimes they don't line up, but God's plans prevail over our own plans. Now, there comes a point we can push God out of our lives to the point that God lets us do it our own way, but you know what often happens? We learn the hard way. It would have been better to follow God's plan than trying to do it on our own. bring these pots to Jesus Jesus said <laughs> Jesus was a saved man I'm just going to tell y'all Jesus had to know he was God for what I'm about to say he literally looks at his mother and says this is not my problem I would shudder in my, my shoes to even think about it in case my mom could have telepathy and could hear what my thoughts were I wouldn't even want to think it in front of my mom not my problem because one of two things would happen first of all there would be another problem on the table and it would still be my problem but the other problem will supersede the current problem and there's going to be a bigger problem and I'm going to feel the effects of both of those problems my mother will give me the right hand of fellowship but it won't be to welcome me to church it will be to refocus my face (laughs) where I need to be all joking aside He said, it's not my problem. What business does this have to do with me, Mary? You're the wedding coordinator. You're the planner. You're the one that orchestrated this thing. You figure it out. Boy, if I told my mom and dad, I wouldn't even live to tell y'all the rest of this story. It is as if Mary didn't even hear what he said. It just went like... She did, you know, my mom's righteous indignation would have rose up in her. She'd have turned around and said, boy, what'd you just say to me? <laughs> you won't say that one, but what'd you just say to me? I didn't say nothing, mama. What you want me to do? I didn't say anything. That's not, she didn't turn around and say, boy, what'd you say? What do you mean it's such? Mary didn't even bat an eye. She turns around to those boys and she says, she didn't say it, but I can hear it in her head. I know he's talking out of his head. He's foolish and don't know what he's talking about. I know he didn't say what I think he just said, but here's what she said to those boys. She turns around and she, like, she never heard him. She said, let me tell y'all one more time. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And she walks off. Now, now my mom would have done that. She told me one time and walked off and expected me to get it done. Jesus said, my time's not ready. Mary, still, whatever he tells you to do, Y'all just do it. Because she knew something nobody else knew in the room. There's a lot of empty vessels in the room. There's a lot of hurting people in the room. Metaphorically speaking. There's a lot of broken hearts in the room. There's a lot of tears that have been shed in this room. There have been a lot of heartache that's been in this room. There's been a lot of people carrying the weight of life on their shoulders and they don't have anything left to you. They want to give. They want to help. They want to, 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 to be a vessel used for God. But they just have nothing left to give. They have nothing. The harder they pour, nothing wants to come out. They wish they could teach a Sunday school class. They want to sing. They want to preach. They, they want to do something. But the harder they try, they're just nothing. They're empty. Got nothing to give. 
Mary realized that there can be a room full of emptiness. But as long as Jesus is in the room, there's always the potential to change the atmosphere in the room. The room might be empty, but everybody, Brother James, when this is over, can leave filled, not empty, when they walk out of this building. We'll pick up part two next week between Nehemiah, this compare and contrast of Nehemiah and this story of the wedding of Canaan. But here's what I want to leave you with. I want you to understand, even if you don't make it next Sunday night, basically give you the crux of this message. There can be a lot of days that you've cried, you've wept, you've been barren, you've been empty, you've been distraught, you've been downtrodden, you're just struggling. But even if metaphorically we put Jesus in a room and said, don't do anything till we tell you, Brother James, if he is at least in the room, there's always the potential he's going to change everything that's happening in that room too. We may have put him in a box for a while, but if he's at least in the room, there's always the potential that as soon as we let go and let God have his way, when somebody finally gets to the point, Brother Larry, that they say, you know what, enough's enough. We've sang all we can sing. The pastor's preached all he knows how to preach. We've done all the offerings we know how to give. We've done When one person in the room says, enough's enough, I'm going to ask Jesus to help us from here. It changes everything in the room. How many people come to church that they bear empty cups? They bear failed plans. They walk in our buildings or they walk in buildings across this community or this nation. They put a smile on. They stand there doing their royal duty. They smile. Good morning. How are you? God bless you. It's so good to see you at church today. Oh, let me take you to Brother Randy's Sunday school class. You'll love Sunday. Let me take you there. He's phenomenal. Or a Sunday school teacher, or Brother Randy, or Sister Sandy, or Brother Marion, or someone walks in. Good morning, class. How you doing? Smiles on their face, just giving you the word of the Lord. But they've got nothing. They're, they're just, they're empty. How many people might go to church, at their church location? Good morning. How you doing? Putting that smile on, Brother Larry. But they're just are inside. They sing on praise teams. They got nothing. They play instruments. They got nothing. How many pastors stand behind the, the statistics tell us that the burnout rate in pastors is alarming. How many of them stand behind that lectern giving everything they got but they are just, they're ready to quit. They're done. Could you imagine just today alone how many pastors, I think the statistic is like one out of every, I think one out of every, I think it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes a pastor resigned from his post of duty on average. Could you imagine somebody stood behind this lectern this morning and or tonight and preached it knowing good and well in the morning they're calling to submit their license and turn them in. They've already got another job lined up and they're going to announce to their church on Wednesday they're not coming back after they preach today all over this world because they have failed plans empty cups Jesus might have been somewhere in the room, but nobody actually asked Jesus to, hey, God, listen, we need to get him to come up here and fix the room. We just let everybody stay the way they were. How many services people come here bearing empty cups? And we let them leave out with smiles on their face, but nothing to take home with them. But as long as Jesus is in the room, there's still hope for every man, woman, boy, or girl. Even if it's one more time. 
next week we're going to talk about what happens when you let Jesus do what only he can do. Because you might be the bearer of failed plans. If you're back next week, you'll hear about how you can also be the bearer of forgotten promises. But I'm going to also tell you next week, but you also can be the bearer of faithful prayers and the faithful prayers, the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous men and women, the Bible said, availeth much. Faithful prayers will move the hand of God. Because when one person in the room says, I'm preacher, no offense to you, you're a great speaker, but we don't need to hear from you anymore. When one person in the room says, man, y'all are good, y'all sing good, y'all play good, we don't need you. If one person ever gets it, listen, y'all, we... We're good. We just need to ask Jesus to come up from this point forward, take center stage, and say whatever he says to do. Could you imagine if one Sunday morning I walked in this building, and I came, and and after we sang, I prayed, and I gave the announcements, and I said, all right, will you stand all over this house? I prayed the prayer over the word of the Lord, and I grabbed the microphone, Brother Larry, and I laid it down and said, that's all I got to say today. And I sat down in this front pew and I said, he's going to take center stage today. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You don't need to hear from me. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Most people would, first of all, think I've lost my mind and think I'm crazy and be like, I didn't come to church to sit in silence. But sometimes the God doesn't come in the fire. He doesn't come in the earthquake. He doesn't come in the torrential downpour in the storm. The Bible says he came to the prophet in a still small voice sometimes in the quietness of it all that's when you hear him tell you what to do that's why tomorrow night and things like prayer nights prayer service is so important I'm not coming tomorrow night to tell you what he what I need to tell you I'm asking you to come so he can tell you and whatever he tells you to do you do it so here's my challenge to you before we pray I don't know what you're bearing you might say pastor life's great for me well then praise the Lord you're doing better than most of everybody in the world you need to be the preacher because you're better than we are (laughs) some of us in this world have empty cups failed plans some of us in this room have broken homes broken marriages broken children broken spouses Some of us have broken jobs. Some of us have broken dreams. Some of us have broken hearts. But if God is in the room, even if he's been sitting on the sidelines for far too long, if he's in the room, you don't have to still leave with brokenness and empty cups. You can leave filled with the Lord going home with you today. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to tell me your need. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. However you want to make your altar, I'm only going to ask you to do this for about five minutes. We're not going to take 30 minutes and do this unless the Lord tarries. Wherever you are. If you want to come up, you can. If you want me to pray with you, I will. Or some of these council members will. I want you to take a few minutes and if you say pastor, you don't have to tell me, but if in your heart you you agree, say pastor I have some things in my life I feel like I'm bearing emptiness, empty cups or empty plans or empty spouses or empty homes or I got people in my family that's bearing broken hearts, I've just got emptiness somewhere I'm, 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 all, I'm drawn out, I, I don't have nothing to give, I'm just, I'm just I'm done, 
I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be different. I want you to tell God about it because you don't need to hear from me anymore. I'm telling you as a surrogate Mary in this story, whatever God tells you to do tonight, you do it. Don't ask me. You tell him. You do it. He'll fix it. So, whatever you have need of, if you want to come up front, you can join me. Or you can do it at your seat. But will you talk to the Lord for a few minutes and just ask him to help you figure out the emptiness in your life and pour back into you?